Section 20 of A Treatise on Good Works. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Nottis. A Treatise on Good Works by Martin Luther. Translated by Johann Michael Roy. The Third Commandment. Subsections 16 through 18. 16. Lo, where are the idle ones who do not know how to do good works? Where are they who run to Rome, to St. James, hither and thither, take up this one single work of the Mass, look on your neighbor's sin and ruin, and have pity on him? Let it grieve you. Tell it to God and pray over it. Do the same for every other need of Christendom especially of the rulers whom God, for the intolerable punishment and torment of us all, allows to fall and be misled so terribly. If you do this diligently, be assured that you are one of the best fighters and captains, not only against the Turks, but also against the devils and the powers of hell. But if you do not do it, what would it help you, though you performed all the miracles of the saints, and murdered all the Turks, and yet were found guilty of having disregarded your neighbor's need, and of having thereby sinned against love? For Christ at the last day will not ask how much you've prayed, fasted, pilgrimaged, done this or that for yourself, but how much good you have done to others, even the very least. Now without doubt among the least are also those who are in sin and spiritual poverty, captivity, and need, of whom there are at present far more than of those who suffer bodily need. Therefore take heed. Our own self-assumed good works lead us to and into ourselves, that we seek only our own benefit and salvation. But God's commandments drive us to our neighbor that we may thereby benefit others to their salvation. Just as Christ on the cross prayed not for himself alone, but rather for us, when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So also we must pray for one another, from which every man may know that the slanderers, frivolous judges, and despisers of other people are a perverted evil race, who do nothing else than heap abuse on those for whom they ought to pray, in which vice no one is sunk so deep as those very men who do many good works of their own, and seem to men to be something extraordinary, and are honored because of their beautiful, splendid life in manifold good works. Spiritually understood, this commandment has a yet far higher work which embraces the whole nature of man. Here it must be known that in Hebrew, Sabbath means rest, because on the seventh day God rested and ceased from all his works, which he had made. Genesis 2. Therefore he commanded also that the seventh day should be kept holy, and that we cease from our works, which we do the other six days. This Sabbath has now for us been changed into the Sunday, and the other days are called work days. The Sunday is called rest day, or holiday, or holy day. And would to God that in Christendom there were no holiday except the Sunday, that the festivals of Our Lady and of the saints were all transferred to Sunday, 
Then would many evil vices be done away with through the labor of the work days, and lands would not be so drained and impoverished. But now we are plagued with many holidays to the destruction of souls, bodies, and goods, of which matter much might be said. This rest or ceasing from labors is of two kinds, bodily and spiritual. For this reason, the commandment is also to be understood in two ways. The bodily rest is that of which we have spoken above, namely, that we omit our business and work in order that we may gather in the church, see mass, hear God's word, and make common prayer. This rest is indeed bodily, and in Christendom no longer commanded by God, as the Apostle says in Colossians 2. Let no man obligate you to any holiday whatever, for they were of old a figure. But now the truth has been fulfilled, so that all days are holy days, as Isaiah says in chapter 66. One holy day shall follow the other. On the one hand, all days are work days. Yet it is necessary and ordained by the church for the sake of the imperfect laity and working people that they also may be able to come to hear God's word. For, as we see, the priests and clergy celebrate Mass every day, pray at all hours, and train themselves in God's word by study, reading, and hearing. For this reason also, they are freed from work before others, supported by tithes, and have holy day every day. And every day do the works of the holy day, and have no work day. But for them, one day is as the other. And if we were all perfect, and knew the gospel, we might work every day if we wished, or rest if we could. For a day of rest is at present not necessary or commanded except only for the teaching of God's word and prayer. The spiritual rest, which God particularly intends in this commandment, is this, that we not only cease from our labor and trade, but much more, that we let God alone work in us, and that we do nothing of our own with all our powers. But how is this done? In this way. Man, corrupted by sin, has much wicked love and inclination toward all sins, as the scriptures say in Genesis 8. Man's heart and senses incline always to the evil, that is, to pride, disobedience, anger, hatred, covetousness, unchastity, etc. And summa summarum, in all that he does, leaves undone, he seeks his own profit, will, and honor, rather than God's and his neighbor's. Therefore, all his works, all his words, all his thoughts, all his life are evil and not godly. Now, if God is to work and to live in him, all this vice and wickedness must be choked and uprooted so that there may be rest and a cessation of all our works, thoughts, and life, and that henceforth, as St. Paul says in Galatians 2, it may be no longer we who live, but Christ who lives works and speaks in us. This is not accomplished with comfortable, pleasant days, but here we must hurt our nature and let it be hurt. Here begins the strife between the spirit and the flesh. Here the spirit resists anger, lust, pride, while the flesh wants to be in pleasure, honor, and comfort. Of this St. Paul says in Galatians 5, they that are our Lord Christ's have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. Then follow the good works, fasting, watching, labor, of which some say and write so much 
although they know neither the source nor the purpose of these good works. Therefore we will now also speak of them. This rest, namely, that our works cease and God alone work in us, is accomplished in two ways. First, through our own effort. Secondly, through the effort or urging of others. Our own effort is to be made and ordered that in the first place, when we see our flesh, senses, will, and thoughts tempting us, we resist them and do not heed them, as the wise man says. Follow not thine own desires, and Moses, in Deuteronomy 12, thou shalt not do what is right in thine own eyes. Here a man must make daily use of those prayers which David prays, Lord, lead me in thy path, and let me not walk in my own ways. And many like prayers which are all summed up in the prayer, Thy kingdom come. For the desires are so many, so various, and besides at times so nimble, so subtle and specious, through the suggestions of the evil one, that it is not possible for a man to control himself in his own ways. He must let hands and feet go, commend himself to God's governance, and entrust nothing to his reason, as Jeremiah says. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in his own power. We see proof of this when the children of Israel went out of Egypt through the wilderness, where there was no way, no food, no drink, no help. Therefore God went before them by day in a bright cloud, by night in a fiery pillar, fed them with manna from heaven, and kept their garments and shoes that they waxed not old, as we read in the book of Moses. For this reason we pray, Thy kingdom come, for thou rule us, and not we ourselves. For there is nothing more perilous in us than our reason and will. And this is the first and highest work of God in us, and the best training, that we cease from our works, that we let our reason and will be idle, that we rest and commend ourselves to God in all things, especially when they seem to be spiritual and good. End of section 20. Recording by Philip Nottis.